Let me pray. Father God, open our hearts to your word and your purposes and show us the key that opens the door to joy that we might walk through that door and know your joy. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lie that has been told from the very beginning that God is withholding from you. God resists your highest joy, your greatest good. He doesn't want you to have a good time. God is on an austere killjoy. And whenever you see life lived, and you see laughter and enjoyment, and people enjoying their senses, beware. There is danger to your soul. The lie would say the holy, the pure, is marked by denial. By maybe pure spiritual contemplation in a cloister, in a cave. For surely in misery is purity. And that's where God wants you. John Piper, a famous American pastor, has been promoting this idea he calls Christian hedonism. He's written many books and many, it will be known to many of you. Here's a few quotes from John Piper. Christian hedonism, like enjoy life. Pursue it. The chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Please enjoy God. He says we should pursue happiness and pursue it with all of our might. The desire to be happy is the proper motive for every good deed. And if you abandon the pursuit of your own joy, you cannot love man or God. Or please God. So pursue your happiness with a passion and pursue it in God. C.S. Lewis, the great English writer and scholar, he also happens to agree. He wrote to a friend once, It is a Christian duty, as you know, for everyone to be as happy as he can. Be happy. The problem that we have is we buy this lie. The lie from the beginning that God doesn't want us to be happy. And so we have to go and set out to achieve happiness on our own, on our terms. Because surely I know what will make me happy. We will be independent. We will be God in our pursuit of happiness. And so in pride, recognizing our God state and the need to be happy, in pride, we grasp for happiness. We go on the hunt for joy at the expense of others. 
when needed. And so pride and our pursuit of joy through pride gives birth to misery for ourselves and for the others. You see, really the key to happiness and joy is humility. If you want to be happy, if you want joy in your life, the key is humility. That will lead to satisfaction, happiness. G.K. Chesterton, a, a great English author, literary critic, journalist of a hundred odd years ago wrote, it is impossible without humility to enjoy anything. That's a strong statement, isn't it? You can enjoy things without being humble, can't you? He says, no, it's impossible without humility to enjoy anything. I think he's right. Because what we tend to do listening to the lie is we take this key called pride. It's bent and it's broken. And we put it in the lock of life, hoping to turn this key and out of that enter the door of happiness and joy. And we keep putting it in the lock and trying to squeeze it in the lock and it doesn't fit and... When it doesn't fit, our pride to make us happy, we say, well, it's your fault. You're not making me happy. And it's your fault that I'm not happy. And it's my boss's fault that I'm not happy. It's it's God's fault that I'm not happy. Because I'm trying to pursue happiness with the key of pride. It doesn't fit the door. And we blame others. What we need to do is change keys. If you want to find happiness, you need the key of humility. We have our yearly theme, to walk humbly with our God. When we're encouraging us to walk humbly with our God, we're not encouraging head down, despairing, empty. I am nothing. No, no, no. To walk humbly with your God is to have your head up and to have a smile on your face and to be engaging with other people, to be listening to other people, to be living with other people and looking outward, a life of self-forgetfulness. Because it's not about me, a life of joy. This book of our Philippians that we had our memory verse for the kids from, which you've been hearing a bit about, There's a command in there. The command comes, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again, rejoice. It is the command, you must rejoice in the Lord. That very same book has this command, which we looked at earlier. I've got a slightly different translation here. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. There is another command, a command for joy. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. We see this humility is the path to joy in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which we had read for us earlier by Annie. The Sermon on the Mount is, is a radical, countercultural call to a new way of living by Jesus as he speaks to his disciples. And it begins with these cryptic sayings, which we call the Beatitudes. They each start, blessed are the so-and-so. Blessed means those who have been approved of, particularly by God. Some translations translate that happy. This is the way to the good life. These are the satisfied people. This is the highest joy. And you will see as we go through these verses that each and every one of these Beatitudes is a call to humility. Jesus is up on the mountainside. He sits down with his disciples. He begins to teach them. He says, Blessed poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the proud are not poor in spirit. They are puffed up in spirit. They have no need for God. They don't need to be forgiven. They don't need to be restored. And Jesus says, Now blessed are the poor, those who have empty hands. Because for them, they can receive the kingdom as a gift. And in that find joy, whereas those who are proud in spirit will be shut out. Joy is for the poor in spirit. Second beatitude, this is hardly joy, is it? Look at this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Joy in mourning? Joy for those who will mourn? Or consider the opposite. What about those who refuse to mourn? There's this Edith, very famous Edith Piaf song. I pronounce it all wrong. Non, je ne rien. <laughs> Basically, she says, No, I regret nothing. No, I do nothing. And if you read through the whole song translated in English, or if your French is any good, if you read through the whole song, she's saying, I don't regret nothing. I don't care where I've come from. I don't care tomorrow. I am totally independent. A bit like French Sinatra. Oh, it's been a long life, and yeah, but I did it my way, and I've had a few. No, I haven't really had regrets because I did it my way, and yeah, we've done this and I've done that, and rack off because I did it my way. No mourning. The proud don't regret. They're too strong. They don't have the sadness. They shut the sadness out. And they refuse to change and they refuse to grow and they refuse to say sorry. Because they refuse to mourn or regret. They will not let themselves go down to that level. No way. You're not getting me there, say the proud. 
And they tend to be very hard people who are a blessing to virtually none, who have very little joy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. See, the proud think of themselves as larger, more important than they are. I'm a big man. I'm a very significant woman. I have a big ego. Because I'm a big thing. I'm, I'm the main man. Tim Keller writes, the ego is so fragile, isn't it? And like everything overinflated, there is the imminent, always the imminent danger of being deflated. The big man with his big ego who regrets nothing, who doesn't mourn, overinflated, always protecting, always watching out because my ego is so big and don't you touch my ego because it might pop and then I'll be a small man. I'm not a small man. For joy, verse 5, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. The meek, come on. In other words, blessed are those who refuse to grasp. Blessed are those who aren't set out on possessing, possessing things and dominating others. Blessed are the meek because the whole world is theirs already. And those who grasp and dominate, they never have enough. They're never satisfied. And they're never joyful. They're always wanting more. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Perhaps the greatest expression of pride the most sophisticated way to be proud is through being self-righteous. I am good enough. I am a good, good person. And there is no hunger to be more righteous. And so there is no filling with more righteousness. But the humble person sees their sin. They see, I'm so wicked, I've got so much room to change and grow and they see God in his glory and they recognize the call and the beauty of holiness and they say, fill me, Lord. I need filling and God does fill. And they do grow in righteousness and guess what? Righteousness breeds, gives forth joy. To be righteous, to do right is a good thing. And to be self-satisfied in your righteousness and to be wicked, that's just plain ugly. And people aren't happy. They're always trying to prove how they're better than others. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, if you're, if you're a self-made man or woman, if you're self-satisfied, well, you've worked for all that you've got. 
My own strength got me here, thank you very much, and my power and my capacities. And I deserve everything that has come my way. And those who have less, they've only got themselves to blame. And so the merciless person tends to become very selfish and greedy and joyless. There's no joy in being merciless and thinking you're better and so you won't help others. But what about, what, what about you might say, what about that Bible verse that God helps those who help themselves? Well, the problem with that Bible verse, and maybe you're wondering where it is, is it's not there. So many people don't seem to realise it is there. It's actually contrary to what the Bible teaches at every point. God does not say, I will help those who help themselves. What the Bible teaches is that God helps those who humble themselves. He will come and lift them up and fill them up. Those who seek mercy with open arms, will be blessed and filled and be able to rest in God's goodness. Verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Those who work for peace, it takes humility to do that. Those who are pure in heart, who just want to do what is right and look at the world purely, they will know God, who is the fount of all joy. They'll be in his family and they'll long for others to know this joy. And when trials come, as they always do, if you have your joy falsely founded, it will be sapped. If you humble yourself before God, well, even when the trials come, you will know joy and peace and rest as we were just singing. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Those who humble themselves can stay the course. They have hope for the future. They have greater purpose and therefore greater joy. When the world caves in on you and you're living for yourself and your ego is inflated, everything crashes. And you're left scrambling around trying to grasp something to give you some joy. When you humble yourself, God lifts you up. Humility, you see, is always our greatest friend and pride our greatest enemy. And if you want to be joyful, you need to pursue humility. One day, Jesus invited, was invited to a meal with a prominent Pharisee, a religious leader. And they're sitting down and he starts this discussion about what, what, where's the place of honour at the table? Well, everyone knew where the place of honour at a table. It kind of like worked like your we- a wedding does. If you're up near the bridal table, you get more honour. You know, for those who are just church friends, we're way down the back somewhere looking at the speeches like this. Where's the place of honour? Well, well, Jesus says, when you go to a meal like this, what you don't do, 
Here, little tip if you're going to, there's a big wedding happening in a couple of weeks, so a little tip you don't do. When you get to the reception centre, don't go and sit at the table right at the front that everyone's facing everybody else. Because if you go sit on that big long table for about eight people, you'll be asked to get up and you'll be moved, probably being a church friend, maybe not even invited, you'll be moved right down here. What Jesus says is when you get invited to a meal, take the lowly seat. It's pretty, pretty obvious treatment. You know, take a seat. You're not sure where am I sitting? Just take one down the bottom somewhere because then you can be exalted. Then you can be lifted up. And said, no, don't sit there. I want you to sit here. And Jesus finishes this, Luke 14, 12, with this saying. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. There it is from the lips of Jesus. And it's repeated again and again in the Bible. In the book of James, he quotes from Proverbs 3.34. In James chapter 4, verse 6, this is what Scripture said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God in humility and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourself and find a new laughter and a new joy as God lifts you up. It's again repeated by the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 5. You who are younger submit to your elders... All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you note the command? Humble yourself. That's the command. Humble yourselves. He's saying, be like Jesus, who though he was in very nature, God didn't hold on to that, but made himself nothing even to death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him, lifted him up to the highest place. Be like Jesus. Or as it's said in Hebrews chapter 12, which is absolutely beautiful. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Okay, eyes on Jesus. What's happening here? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and his pattern, who for the joy before him humbled himself and endured the cross and was then lifted up to sit at the right hand of the throne of the Father. There is our pattern of humbling ourselves that we might be exalted to find our greatest joy. So is this all true? There's a basic thesis, humble yourselves 
It's a way to joy. It's a way to be lifted up. So what I'm saying is, for you is that I miss out because I'm always thinking about other people. I miss out and it's somehow better, more joyful for me because I missed out because I took the second, the lower seat. Or is, all, is this all more a case of it's all just pie in the sky when you die? Humble myself now. I will suffer now. I will have less now. But I will be exalted and joyful and happy in heaven when I die. Let me say, the promise of resurrection is real. And the joy of our eternal state will be unspeakable. And let me say, you will not be there unless you first humble yourself and come to Jesus and call upon him as Saviour and Lord. So yes, that is true. But the promise of joy through humility is every bit as true today in the way we live our lives as it is in the prospect of eternity. And I'd like to just now, in finishing outline, just a few areas, and there's probably lots I could pick from. There are lots I could pick from. Just a few areas where humility brings joy and pride brings misery. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here who is anxious today. Is anybody feeling a bit stressed not in our context, that wouldn't happen in Sydney on the northern suburbs, would it? Stress and anxiety is a plague on our society. We have, it would seem, never been more anxious. Never have people been seeking more help for their anxiety. And yet you talk to little Serene's kids talk, she owns up to it. We're stressed. That's because there's stuff to be done. There are deadlines, there's people's expectations. We're, we're often underappreciated and that brings anxiety. People fail then to meet our expectations so they didn't do their bit, that brings anxiety. And there's always more work to do. And sometimes just to get away, you escape to the TV or you escape to alcohol or food or I go online to social media or YouTube clips played again and again and again. But I never have peace. Never satisfied, never getting rest. And a major part, if not the major part, is this is because pride convinces us that we are strong and that we are capable. And so we should be doing more. We should be being more. And we should be more successful. We should be getting more recognition. And when we do succeed at something and get some recognition, guess what? You've got to do it again. Better. And so that rather than embracing Jesus as our Messiah and our Saviour, we become our Messiah and our own Saviour. And because of that, being Messiah, we are due, due honour, we are due appreciation, we must be glorious. And we need these likes on our social media feeds. We need to keep up appearances. We need to be in control of everything and things must go the way we want them to go. And we find ourselves drowning in a sea of anxiety. 
smiling faces, warm images, desperate hearts. Empty hearts which go home and go, oh, I'm not going to keep smiling now. Humility sets you free from that anxiety. Do your best. Serve God faithfully. Look to the interests of others and rest in Jesus who is gentle and humble in heart and who promises to give you rest. I am limited. I am finite. And that's okay. I'll do my best. But I'll rest in Jesus because I can't do everything. In an overstressed world, such an attitude to put aside pride and take on humility will bring joy to your soul. And so you go home and sit on the couch and say, I did my best. Thank you, Lord. Body image. Hands up anyone who's totally, perfectly satisfied with their body. Okay, Vlad. Vlad is perfectly satisfied with his body. We'll have to ask Anna lately. Vlad is either truly humble or the most wickedly proud person you'll ever meet. <laughs> I don't know which one it is, Vlad. Because we all obsess about our bodies. Let's face it, we're ashamed of our bodies. Too fat, too thin, my nose is too big, there's a mole on my right cheek, hair's too frizzy, eyes too close together, hips too wide, tummy too large, too hairy, not hairy enough. Too tall, too short, too old. Oh, we're all crazy. Everything's going that way. Supposed to be going that way. So what do you do? I've got to go to the gym. Got to go running. Got to put on some makeup. Got to go on a diet. Maybe some reconstruction. Anna was talking to me about that this morning. She doesn't like my earlobes. Bit of work there. I've just given birth. I've just given birth. I've got to get my body back into shape. It's not good enough to have had natural given birth body. Right back at the beginning, Adam and Eve were told a lie by the serpent, the Satan. The lie said, you know, you need to be God. You need to be like God. You need to be God's withholding from you. And they listened to the lie and they disobeyed God's command. And as soon as they did, they recognized that they were naked and they were shameful and they covered up from each other. That's what pride did. We hate our bodies for being imperfect. We hate our bodies because they're not godlike. We want to be Adonis. We want to be Aphrodite. And then we look at ourselves and say, Oh, I'm not. I'm not Adonis. You probably think I am. Look at those muscles and good looks. But we're not. I am not a Greek god. Humility actually gets you to own that. I am not a Greek God. I am imperfect. 
In this world, that's the way we are. And God, the one God, the divine, he actually made me with a mole on my right cheek and big ears, and it's okay. See, that humility sets us free to embrace the person God made us to be and to stop obsessing over our imperfections, which are just going to get worse. Satan tells us, you be ashamed. Don't like that body, you're not good enough. Humility says, humility sets you free to hear a different voice, the voice of God, the only voice that counts, the voice of joy who says, I am your heavenly father and you are my child and your body is good. It's just the way I want it to be, so rejoice and steward it well. Not saying let it go. Don't worry about it. Be healthy, but steward it well. But it's good the way it is. Another area personal growth. G.K. Chesterton, again, another quote from him, he's very quotable. Human pride is the engine of mediocrity. Human pride is the engine of mediocrity, and he's right. See, pride says you've arrived. I've arrived. I'm complete. There is really, for me, maybe for the others, really not much more to learn. And I, I see the world truly as it is, and well, most of the rest of you are deceived. You don't quite get it. So really, my opinion counts more than yours. If that is where you are, for such a person there is no impetus for growth or learning or correction. When you face criticism, it stings and you buck up against it and reject it out of hand. And so such proud people never listen. They never change because they never listen and they never grow. Pride impedes progress when we overestimate our abilities. And when we overestimate our abilities, we listen poorly and we make mistakes and then we make the same mistake again. And let's face it, you've all seen it. Let's talk about work. Let's talk about home. Let's talk about school. How often can you have said this proud person who never changes because they never listen because they're too full of themselves? The difficulty is we very rarely see that attitude in ourselves. Paul David Tripp has this little line, my self-perception is as accurate as a carnival mirror. Let me just look at myself in the mirror. Oh, look at how big my head is. I must look like that. That's what our self-perception is like. Humility reminds us that we have so much to learn. There is so much we don't know. And we need others to speak into our lives and it's a gift for them to do that and it's a gift for us to learn and be corrected. You know, Humility pushes the whole of humanity forward because it allows us to sit under majesty 
and beauty and glory and to enjoy it. As Chesterton said, that quote again before, it is impossible without humility to enjoy anything. If I'm so good, the great Kenyan won't look so grand. great, will it? Oh, yeah. I've seen some other stuff like that. If I'm so good, my gorgeous wife won't look so stunning. Oh, yeah. She's lucky to have me. <laughs> you could go on and on and on. I'm sitting there in front of a Monet painting and I'm finding the faults. And instead of sitting back and enjoying the wonder. It is impossible without humility to enjoy anything. If you want to grow, if you want to enjoy life, you need humility in its pursuit of joy. Finally, and this is going, there's a lot of these, but they're all, they're, all, they're all powerful, I think. So I've got them here. Humility, rather than diminishing the self, you know, oh, I put myself down, I'm nobody, I'm nobody. Now, it doesn't do that. True humility, rather than diminishing the self, builds self esteem and builds security. If you can stop playing the comparison game, if you can stop needing to assure yourself that you're better than others, that frees you then to have a robust view of who you are under God and your place in the world and your opportunities. You don't need the constant praise of others to affirm it. You're confident in yourself, humbly. And so you'll be able to enjoy your gifts rather than being constantly condemned by them. Do you know that feeling of being condemned by your gifts? Things you do, things you think you're good at? Pride says, I'm good at maths. But I'm not as good as Felix. I must be better than Felix. I must see if I can beat Felix in this next test. Felix studies way too much anyway. Humility says, Felix got 95%. Wow. I got 92%. I must be good at maths. That's so good. I love maths. Hooray. We both did really well. And Felix is my mate. He's really good at maths. There's joy in that. Mark, Mark says, I only got 52% at my maths. I know maths is not my strong point. Maybe I could work harder, but I really find it hard. But I'm glad Felix is so good at maths. And he's always willing to help. But you know, I enjoy making things with my hands. And I'm not as good at Brenda. It doesn't matter. Look what I made. Look. It's great. That's humility. True humility rests our sense of self in something greater than our achievements, in, in, in something, something greater than our emotions. My sense of self is not trapped by how I'm feeling, as if that's the absolute measure of everything. It's not trapped by how many likes we get on Facebook. My judgment doesn't matter so much. The judgment of others doesn't matter so much. The only judgment that really counts is God who knows me from the inside out. 
and I'm going to please him and live for him. Tim Keller again to quote him, the humble person would never be particularly hurt badly by criticism. It would not devastate them, it would not keep them up late. A person who is devastated by criticism is putting too much value on what other people think, on other people's opinions. See, a humble approach to life sets you free in joy to be yourself and to be glad in that and to quit the comparison game. Stephen Covey, this business guru, wrote the seven steps of highly effective leaders and um, seven, or whatever it is, seven something. He has this quote on humility, getting towards the end. Humility truly is the mother of all virtues. It makes us a vessel. It makes us a vehicle, an agent instead of the source or the principle. It unleashes all other learning, all growth and process with the humility that comes from being principle-centred, we're empowered to learn from the past, have hope for the future and act with confidence in the present. Amen. It brings joy. And it's the command of Scripture. God says be humble because God wants us to have the best life. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to know what it's like to follow Jesus. And even through struggle and trial to find the greater joy. Let me pray. Father God, we know that in many ways you teach us humility. And we know, Father God, that in many ways... They're hard lessons to learn as you take us to hard places and you call upon us to trust in you even in those hard places. So Father, we pray for everybody here, for those in hard places, that you would minister to them by your Spirit, and help them to come to you with empty hands and find your joy as you bless them just as they are, your beautiful child. Father, teach us humility. Rip off our pride. Make us more like your son, we ask in his name. Amen.